Well, hey, everybody. How are we doing today? Oh, good. So good to see y'all. My name's Jamie. I'm the pastor of East Cup Church. Got a question for you this morning. Have you ever had a moment, or can you remember the last moment in your life where you knew or you thought that you'd arrived? Like you, you, you recognized or you realized that your life had gotten to a point perhaps that you've been anticipating or, or dreaming of. You remember the last time you felt that way or all the time that you felt that way? I remember a few of mine. Like I remember the first time I drove my car as a teenager for the first time by myself and I'm like, I've arrived, you know, like freedom, you know. I remember as a freshman in college, y'all remember this? If you went to college, you remember being a freshman in college and it was like the first time on a weekend I went out with my friends and nobody told me when I had to be home, okay? Nobody said what I had to do, where I had to go and I'm at like Waho at 3 a.m. eating an all-star special and I'm like, I've arrived. This is it. This is it. This is great. I remember that moment. Let's see. I remember, I remember when I got married to Sarah and then we bought a little house and we got our, our dog, our first dog. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm adulting. This is happening. You know, I kind of arrived at this big landmark in my life. I mean, clearly Sarah was ranked number one in the rival and then everything else was under that, babe, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> or uh, we had our first child. That felt like one of those big you know, life moments, one of those big, we've arrived. Oh my gosh, we're, we're parents. That's big, that's big. I remember when we moved to East Cobb, we were living in Atlanta down in the city and we moved to East Cobb and we started this church and it's like dream job and we're both in it. And I remember so many moments where we'd look at each other and be like, oh my gosh, I kind of feel like we've arrived. This is what we've been wanting to do for a long time. So that was really cool. Or here's the most recent one that I can think of. And I was thinking like, what's the most recent, man, we've arrived, babe, we've made it moment. Um, this was a couple years ago. Some of you are really going to identify with this, baby, uh, if you are parents. But we were, um, so we, for the last eight years, have had one, two, three, and then four children. And we had them like all, all right in a row. And um, as you imagine, I mean, what, love them to death, the greatest thing we've ever done. But of course, when you have little kids, you know, they, you know, constant time, attention, demands. The only time you get a break is when they're unconscious, you know, it's like, that's about it. And uh, so, We've, you know, we're in that season for many, many, many years, and we had this moment one day. We were sitting on the back porch, and Austin, our youngest, was on that borderline as the youngest of four, where he's like almost self-sufficient, but not quite, you know, he'd been there for a little while. We're sitting on the back porch, and we're like just sitting there chilling, kids are running around, and they all of a sudden, the kids say, hey, mommy and daddy, we're going to go inside and watch TV. And we were like, Yeah. Do, please. <laughs> go, go watch TV, please. And Austin pitter-pattered in after them. Uh, and I said, hey, son, my oldest son, I was like, hey, will you get me, will you get daddy a Coke Zero? Because daddy likes to drink Coke Zeros. And he brought me a Coke Zero with a cup and ice. And I was like, okay, brought my wife, you know, whatever, LaCroix or whatever. She was having some water. And we're sitting there. And we don't realize it at first. It takes like 15 minutes for it to sink in. But like 15 minutes in, sitting my Coke Zero, and we just both look at each other. And we're like, <gasps> we don't see kids. We don't hear kids. We don't have to do it. Our kids are on autopilot in the living room watching TV. One of them just brought us some drinks. They were sitting there like, oh my gosh, babe. I think we've arrived. I think we're there. I mean, it's like the day we've been like waiting for for four straight, no, seven straight years, I think. We're finally there. We have some quiet, you know, listening to our good vibes playlist. And we're just like, don't move. Don't move. Don't do anything. See how long it lasts. It was like, oh my gosh, babe, we've arrived. You know, finally, one of these big, big life moments we, we've gotten there. And we all have that. Like, you have that right now. We all have that in life. We all have an idea of what it means to arrive. And you've got a preferred future 
that we are waiting on or even working towards. We've got a, a vision of something, most likely some combination of like family, of work, and of play, some combination of, of lifestyle or, or, or success or opportunity that is like the benchmark for our lives, the measuring stick for our lives and season after season, season in and season out. We spend the majority of our time, our talent, and our treasure building towards it, going after it. We've all got an idea what it would look like to arrive in this season or maybe over the course of our whole lives. Well, we've been in the middle of a series called A Better Way, A Better Way, The Counterintuitive Life of Jesus. And it's based on this idea, this truth, this truth um, that the, the first Christians weren't, in fact, called Christians. They were called, in fact, followers of the way. They were called followers of the way. And um, it was, uh, maybe it'll come up here eventually, but uh, <laughs> magic trick, you know. <laughs> they were called followers of the way. There it is. Yay. Uh, the, and, 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 and this isn't because they were Star Wars fans, like this is the way. You know, that's not it. That's a Mandalorian reference. Uh, uh, nerd alert. But uh, they were called that way because they believed that a rabbi from Nazareth wasn't just a man, that he was in fact the son of God in the flesh who died on a cross for the sins of the world and rose from the dead to start something brand new. Not just a brand new belief system, but a brand new way, a way of living and being and treating one another that was brand new, that was in fact from heaven, that was itself the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And the first Christians, they were, they were, they were followers of this way. They followed the way. And uh, they did that not just because they thought it made them more Christian. That term didn't even exist initially. They did it because they thought it was a better way. That it was a better way. There's a better way of living for their families and for their marriages and for their futures and for their careers and for their character and for you know, their health and for their community. They believed it was, a, it was a better way. And after all, they believed that because that's what Jesus had been teaching. That's what Jesus taught everywhere that he went. In his keynote sermon, this manifesto about his way that he preached pretty much in every single town and in every place that he went, Jesus would end this sermon, this big keynote sermon, with the parable of the broad road and the narrow road. I'm not going to rehash it today. We did in week one, but this is basically it. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Like, hey, there's a broad road in life. There's a broad road in life, a way that everybody's going and it's well-lit and well-traveled and well-advertised and well-celebrated and most people are on it. The only problem is it leads to regret and pain and loss. This is the broad road. Most people are on the broad road. It's not your only option in life. He said, on by contrast, narrow is the road that leads to life. And Jesus said, that's what I'm inviting you to walk down. I'm inviting you to walk with me down the narrow road. It's not well-lit. It's not well-traveled. It's not well-advertised. Definitely not well-celebrated. But it leads to life. It leads to the life that you're looking for. And that's what the series is about. It's about walking in the way of Jesus. It's about the fact that our faith, it isn't just something we believe, though that's true. It's also, it's someone that we follow. It's not just something we believe is someone that we follow, that we follow in the way of Jesus. And we've been talking about that for three weeks. Week one, we saw uh, that the way of Jesus is the way of love and that following Jesus will change the way that we treat one another. Uh, week two, we found that the way, we talked about how the way of Jesus is the way of the cross and how discover that if you follow Jesus, it's gonna change the way you treat yourself uh, and telling yourself yes or no. And we talked about that last week and you should go back and catch up if you haven't. But today I wanna go into the third and the final way or a big characteristic of quality of the way of Jesus. And that is I wanna talk about the way we measure our lives, the way we measure our lives. Because it turns out 
Jesus has something to say about where we are aiming in life. He has something to say about what we're aspiring to become and where we're hoping to go. He has something to say about how we define success and how we know when we've gotten there, how we know when we have arrived. And as always, of course, there's a way that everybody's doing it. There's a way that everyone is walking. And then there's Jesus's way, a way that is narrow and more difficult and and unexpected, a way that nobody would think to require, a way that few people would voluntarily sign up for, but a way that he promised was better, that led to life. Why? Because it was from heaven. And it's a way that that was put on display so vividly and so powerfully, and in fact, famously, through a conversation that Jesus had with two of his closest friends, uh, the disciples, James and John. James and John. And here's how it went down. This is what I want to look at today. You can certainly turn here in your Bibles if you'd like, but I'm going to read it right here on the screen. Here's how it began. You can go to the, the text, please. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So these guys are brothers. James and John were brothers and disciples of Jesus. They came to Jesus. And they said, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Uh, Matthew in his gospel, so this is Mark. Peter is, most, is, is the one that was telling Mark what he witnessed. Mark records basically Peter's uh, witnessing of Jesus. Well, well, Matthew also records a gospel, Matthew the disciple, and he gives us another juicy detail that's not in, this, uh, in Mark's account. Um, he says that James and John, they came to Jesus and they brought their mom. <laughs> uh, so they were the first millennials, I guess. But anyway, um, oh, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I'm technically one too. So hey, I love the millennials. Um, but, but what's interesting is they come to Jesus with a request and, uh, they use a tactic. Weirdly enough, my kids have used on me a bunch, the, the old preemptive strike, you know, that one, like, Hey daddy, Hey daddy, Hey daddy, will you, will you say yes to what I'm about to ask you? Will you, will you? <laughs> I'm like, no, you know, no, not a chance, not a chance. And Jesus is like, come on, bro. It's not going to fall for that one. What is it that you're going to ask me before I answer? What are you going to ask me? Uh, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> he asked. And they answered, they said this, they replied, check this out, let one of, I mean, who thinks to ask this? Let one of us sit at your right and the other, there's two of us, the other at your left in your glory. And it's like, okay, well now, now we know why you brought mom along. You needed some backup. You're hoping that like you can pull the parent card and she can like influence Jesus because they had a huge request to make of Jesus. Like all good Jewish boys, they believed that Messiah would come and that he would deliver Israel. He would bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and he would reign on the throne of David forever and ever, just like the prophets had promised. They believed that. They believed Jesus was that Messiah. So in anticipation of that, these guys are trying to reserve their spot on Jesus's right and Jesus's left, like in the throne room, in the hierarchy. They're trying to secure for themselves a preferred future of position and power and rank and access and privilege and prosperity. And they want to be on the top of the heap. And they're like, man, if we ask now, maybe we can grab it before anybody else does. When you're the first to ask, sometimes you're the first to get it. So they're trying to secure this preferred future. They have a huge, and it's a huge, it's huge. We want to sit to you right, we want to sit to you left. Not just geographically, but positionally. And it's in Jesus's response, I believe we see just how different his way is. As always, he has a way of saying something back 
that just surprises, surprises everybody. So here's Jesus' response. And first, he responds directly to the ask. Here, here's what he says. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? A little bit of tongue twister there. Uh, this is just a cryptic way of Jesus saying, hey, you sure about that? You sure you want to ask for that? I mean, hey, you want to share in my glory when I establish my kingdom? Well, before you say yes, let me just ask you, ask you, ask you this. Do you also want to share in my sufferings that are required to establish that kingdom? Because yeah, everybody wants to share in my glory then. Do you also want to share in my sufferings now? Because they're a package deal. Suffering and glory, they're a package deal. Jesus says, I'm not sure you know what you're asking. And they are undeterred. They say, um, we can. <laughs> Don't worry. We got it. Uh, they answered. Now, of course, Jesus knows that these boys, I mean, these are young, young men, like young men. And uh, he loves both of them dearly. They're great, great, great close friends by this point. And uh, he knows that they have no idea what he's about to go through. Like they have no idea he's going to down a cross and be, you know, falsely accused and tort. They have no idea what's about to transpire. He knows that they do not, in fact, know what they're really asking. But it's so interesting. It's, it's it, the next thing that Jesus said. It's like he almost catches himself um, because, you know, if, don't forget, Jesus isn't just a man. We believe as Christians that he's God in the flesh. So he knows the futures of these two boys. And he knows that James, about 14 years later, is going to be executed for proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. He knows that John is going to literally spend the rest of his life being persecuted for preaching the gospel of Jesus. He's going to suffer the rest of his life over and over and over again and end his life in exile on an island for proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. So you can imagine like the sadness and the compassion that he says this next thing with. He says, yeah, boys, I know you will. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But, but, but to sit at my right or my left, it is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared for. This is one of the uh, many moments in the New Testament and even in the, in the Jewish scriptures where we see God as a trinity. It's this big religious word, a trinity. It means that God is one being, but he's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is an instance where God the Son, Jesus, is telling James and John, hey, that's not mine to give. That right belongs to God the Father. That's what's going on here. I know this is kind of maybe hard to understand. I know if you're not a Christian, you're like, that's weird. That's just weird. Um, um, and I know it is. I know it's weird, but I'm telling you, you should check it out. Uh, you should investigate or dig into a little bit the mind-bending nature of our creator. Uh, like go on Google, just Google Trinity and see what comes up. I'm telling you, it's super fascinating. Um, but this is what's happening. This is how Jesus responds. And first, he just responds directly to their ask. Hey, no guys, that's not mine to give. Appreciate it, not mine to give though. Uh, but then we get to the juicy part and the best part for today. He, uh, he pivots. And secondly, he responds to their attitude. And this is what I really want to read you. He just responded to their ask. Okay, that's what you want. Not mine to give. The answer is no, or at least it's not mine to say. He responded to their ask and now he pivots and he responds to attitude. Because that's his bigger concern. His biggest concern in this interaction is not, in fact, their specific ask. His biggest concern is their overall attitude. His biggest concern is the definition of success that these two young men have. The, their vision of what it means to arrive in life. The goal that they are, are striving for and chasing after. 
in life. I mean, that's his biggest concern. That's by far the thing he's most worried about, by far the biggest correction that he wants to make in them, not the specific ask, the overall attitude. So Jesus pivots, and he's about to have a hard conversation with these two guys to teach them a lesson in love. Well, it turns out he ain't the only one that wants to have a hard conversation with these two, because evidently the other disciples have caught wind of what they're asking. And, uh, and, and then it goes, it just goes down. It goes downhill. Uh, here's what it says. When the 10, so there's 12 disciples and these two brothers are two of them. So the other 10, they heard about this and they became indignant, probably to say the least, with James and John. So they're other friends. I mean, they're all about the same age in general. They're all followers of Jesus. And they're like, what? I'm sorry. Did I, did I hear right what you just asked? Did you really go behind our back and ask Jesus to put you in charge of us? That you want to re- like rule the whole thing? Like, who do you think you are? And you brought your mom. You brought, you brought your, your mom. What are we, six? Are you serious? Mommy, come ask Jesus and me in charge. Like, man, if you want to run the kingdom, be mad enough to just ask for it, okay? Like, and they just start squabbling and fighting with each other and all this jealousy and bitterness. And they're like, probably getting in shoving matches, you know? So all this goes down. It turns ugly. And uh, Jesus realizes this is his moment. Like, this is a moment to intervene and teach them about his way, the way. And so he like breaks up whatever's going on and he's like, hey, sit down, listen to what I have to say. I wanna tell you something. Um, And this is, uh, yeah, where it's gonna get personal (laughs) for you and for me a little bit today. Uh, Jesus says this, he called them together and he said, "Uh, you know, you know how this is, guys, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, Gentiles is a word that just means non-Jew. So like everybody else in the world, uh, just normal people unimpacted by the ways of God. He's like, you know how it is around most people in the world, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus says like, hey, um, just kind of starts to get so personal. He says, hey, like, you, you, you know how it is, right? You, you know how um, most people in the world use their power? How most people do? Most people tend to use their power this way. They, try, they lord it over whoever they can. That word literally means to subdue, to subjugate. So yeah, you know, you know how most, most people tend to use their power? Yeah, they tend to lord it over those things and people, whoever the, the, they can, the people that are under them. And you know why they do it? You know, you know what their motive is? You guys know this, right? You know how, why they do it? They do it so that they can exercise their authority. This word literally means to, to exercise your full privilege. Like think of a sponge that I just want to wring out of you everything that I can get out of you for my benefit, for my gain. Jesus is like, hey guys, you know how it is in like the rest of the world? How, you know, people use their power to lord it over and they do it to get what they want. They do it to get where they want to go. They do it to get the life that they want to live. They do it to arrive wherever it is they've been dreaming of arriving. You know that, right? It's like, it's like this. I brought this ladder today to try to illustrate this. Jesus is like, hey, let me, let me try to describe how like most of the world handles their power and, and the road that most people are walking on. Like take this ladder, for example. If the ground right here is where I'm at in life and the top of the ladder is where I want to get, it, my definition of success, my definition of having made it, my definition of, holy cow, babe, we've arrived, you know? If that's what's at the top of the ladder, Jesus says that the natural way of the world is to be a ladder climber. 
The natural way of the world is to be a ladder climber, to make it your goal to as best you can and as quickly as you can climb that ladder and to use whatever means you have and whatever opportunity you have, to use whatever resources you have, to use whatever talent you have, to use whatever power you have this way. You lord it over and you exercise your full right, your full privilege, whatever you can get. That's what the world does. You use whatever you have to and you, yeah, even use whoever you have to as one of these, as a step on the way up to the life you wanna live, to the destination where you want to arrive. Jesus said this right here, like this is the way of the world. This is how most people operate. But it's the broad road. It's the broad road. You remember that parable I said he ended every, his big sermon with every single time? There's a broad road and an arrow. And he said, that's the broad road. And yeah, it's well lit and well traveled and well advertised and well celebrated. And most people are on it. Here's the problem. It leads to destruction. It leads to the degradation and to the erosion of the life that we all want to have and the, and the families we all want to have and the businesses we all want to have and ones we want to work at and the communities we all want to have and the country we all want to have and the world we all want to have. How do you know? I mean, this is so intuitive and it's, you, just, you just know this already, so I don't even have to explain it, but I thought of an example. Have you ever put one of your kids in charge of their other siblings? especially if they're younger. Uh, we've done it before. Mistake, right? When you put one, sometimes when you put one of your kids, I know older kids, they get better at it, right? But when you put like one of your little kids in charge of their other siblings, you get like a front row seat to the proverb that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? It is, it is mind boggling how quickly they begin using their power for selfish gain, how quickly they begin using their power unfairly, how their siblings so quickly become a means to their ends, how justice and compassion just evaporate into thin air, you know? Happens like that. But it's not just kids. It's us too. It's every one of us too. It's our, it's our society. It's our culture too. I mean, it's why, it's why our government and our corporations and our organizations that we form, they all have balances of what? Of power. They all have checks on power because it's a natural way of the world. It's why being called a dictator is an insult and a danger because the natural way of the world and the natural way of the human heart is to be a ladder climber. That's what happens naturally. The natural way of the world and the natural way of the human heart is to be someone who, who uses whatever means they have to climb as high as they can. To climb as high as they can. And we know from experience, you know from experience, I know from experience from my own personal life and failings and just my own experience of other people. We all know from experience of like when this happens in our homes or in our families or in our marriages, uh, when this happens in our businesses, our workplaces, when this happens in our neighborhoods, <laughs> when this happens in our HOAs, uh, when, this happens, when this happens in our community or in our country, things don't go well. Things don't, don't go well. Some some of the worst horrors of the last century happened because a group of people got absolute power and they decided, let's see how high we can climb. Everyone and everything is a step to how high we want to climb. It's a broad road. 
And we all, we all know where it leads. We've all seen where it leads. We've all experienced it firsthand. Jesus said, that's the way of the world. That's the broad road. That's the way of the world. But then he looks at these young men sitting around him. And he says, not so with you. Not so with you. I'm inviting you to a different way. I'm inviting you to a better way. I'm inviting you to this way. That instead, whoever wants to be great, become great among you. They must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be, it's the highest he can think of, must be the lowest he can think of, slave of all. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. This is the new metric. And whoever wants to be first must be the least slave of all. Jesus said, hey, I want you to, I want you to flip all of it upside down. I want you to turn the whole thing on its head. And you know, these, these young guys were like, what? what? Okay, so like not ever be great, you know? Just be mediocre, just be like small and inconsequential. And no, 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 no. Don't miss this. Um, this isn't a reprimand. This is a redirection. He's not mad at their desire to be great. It's not a reprimand. This is a redirection. He said, whoever wants to become great, yeah, still become great. I just want you to redefine what it means to be great. I just want you to redefine what it means to arrive in life. Because Jesus is saying, hey, you haven't arrived in life when you've climbed the ladder. No, 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 no. You've arrived in life when you've become one. Let me say that again. Jesus is saying, you haven't arrived in life when you've simply climbed the ladder. No, you've arrived in life or you know you've lived a successful life or you know you've lived the life that you were created to live when you have become one. You don't become great by climbing to the top. You become great by helping others climb. You don't become great by being the greatest. You become great by being the servant of all. You become great by deciding that whatever power you have isn't just yours to leverage, but yours to lend out. By deciding that whatever position you have, it's not just yours to leverage, but yours to lend out. By deciding that whatever wealth you have, it's not just yours to leverage, it's yours to lend out or simply give away. That whatever access or whatever assets or whatever intelligence you have, it's not just yours to leverage. It's yours to lend out. It's by deciding that, hey, the goal of my life, the goal of my life is not simply just to climb the ladder. It's to be one. It's to be the ladder for as many people as I possibly can before I leave this world. And Jesus says, that's my way. That's the narrow road that I'm talking about. The narrow road that I'm inviting you to. And it might not be well lit. It's not. It's not well advertised. It's not well traveled. But it leads to life. It leads to the life that you're looking for. Because, hey, we all want to be great. I want to live a great life. By whatever definition that I have and whatever definition, that I want to live a great life and so do you. This is why it leads to life. And here's the deal. This is the metric of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. This is the metric of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. Like in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, that we're going to exist in for all of eternity. This right here is how lives are going to be ranked and measured. There is an inverse relationship. This is a bar graph for the math nerds. I mean, a line graph for the math nerds in the room. There's an inverse, you know, x-axis and y. There's an inverse relationship between your position then and your posture now. That's what Jesus is saying. It's an inverse relationship. Every 
step higher into greatness requires a step lower into service. That's how it works in the kingdom of heaven. The reason this leads to life, to the life that you're looking for, is because this is the metric of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And that's actually really good news because you know what it means? Anyone can be great. Not just the rich, not just the powerful, not just those with access, not just the well-connected, not just the talented, not just the beautiful. Anyone can be great. As Dr. Martin Luther King so famously said, anyone can be great because anyone can what? Serve, yeah. So you should know that. The reason Jesus says this is a narrow road that leads to life is because this is the metric of greatness in the kingdom of heaven. But not only that, not only is it the measure of greatness in the kingdom of heaven, we all know this. I mean, we don't even believe in God. We know this intuitively. This is the measure of greatness in life. In this life, right here, right now. I mean, I know we, we all get distracted with like social media and ads and all the stuff people are chasing after and getting infatuated with and all the comparison trap. Like I know we get kind of, we tend to get distracted by this stuff, but we all like, we all know that like the real measure of a life is the extent to which you give it away. Like we know that. Have you ever been to a funeral? I know you have. And I go, I, I go to lots of funerals, especially in my line of work. And I gotta tell you, the most awkward funerals the most awkward funerals are always um, always the ones when someone decided only to climb the ladder. When someone made it like their life goal, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to climb the ladder. And they died clutching onto a pile of money or died clutching onto a, a, a set of properties or died clutching onto power, holding a big, big bunch of experiences and things that they mostly leveraged just for themselves kind of lorded it over. They exercised their full right of privilege for themselves. And when then, when you go to one of those funerals, I mean, I, I'm not criticizing, just telling you from experience, and you've probably seen this. It's kind of awkward because people don't have a ton of great things to say. I mean, yeah, impressive, really cool, amazing. But it feels kind of hollow and it feels kind of empty. And oftentimes, in the wake of that life are stories of hurt or neglect or abuse or injustice but on the flip side, have you ever been to a funeral of somebody, rich or poor, connected or not connected at all? Have you ever been to a funeral of somebody who made it their mission in life to be a ladder? Not just climb it, but to be a ladder. I'm telling you, at those funerals, you got to cut the mic off at some point. People just won't stop talking. They won't stop celebrating. And they don't talk about the stuff. They don't talk about the resume and, oh, I'm impressed. I mean, they might mention that. No, they talk about the impact. They talk about the good that was done. They talk about the legacy. And you know what everybody says on the way out? You probably said it on the way out before, a funeral like that. Man, I hope people talk about me that way. Because we all just intuitively get it. Those are the moments we just intuitively, it's come so clear. We just intuitively understand that's the measure of a life right there. The extent to which you give it away. That's how you know you've arrived. That's how you know you've lived a life worth living. That's how you know that you've lived a life that left the world and the people and the things that you love better than you found them. By being a ladder not just climbing it, a bee in the ladder, not just climbing it. So Jesus is saying, and listen, I, I know, I know that to some of us in the room, that sounds crazy. I know to some of us in the room, that sounds like, that is so stereotypically Christian naive. 
I know perhaps to some of you in the room, you're like, that is way too costly. Do you know what my job is? Do you know where I live? Do you know what's at stake in my life? I know for some of you in the room, as I'm saying this, this just sounds weak. But my friends, if you want to follow Jesus, this is the way. This is the way. This is the narrow road that he's calling us to walk. The way of the servant. This is the road he's commanding us to walk if we are his followers. That you and I would, we would abandon the right to use what we have for us and bind ourselves to use what we have for as many others as we can. That you would abandon the right to climb at someone else's expense and bind yourself to helping others climb at your own expense. That you would, you would abandon the right to race to the top and you would bind yourself to the daily practice of racing to the bottom. That you would abandon the right. You would abandon the right to simply become great and bind yourself to the call of Jesus to become great by being the servant of all. By being the servant of all. And he wants us to walk that road. Why? Because it's easy? No. Because <laughs> it's comfortable? No. Because it won't cost anything? No. Because it's popular? No, because it's better. Because it's better. That's not a weak road to walk. No, that takes incredible strength. And it's not actually a net loss. When you walk that road, what you end up finding is you find the life that you really want to live. You don't want to live just a ladder climb in life. You find the life that you really want to live, the one where you be a ladder for as many people as you possibly can when your time on this earth. And Jesus is saying, come on, come on, come. Boys, quit your fighting for a second. Knock it off with your crazy questions about where you're sitting. Follow me. Come follow me down this narrow road. The way of the servant. Four, four, and then he adds one more line. One last appeal that just obliterates all of my excuses. We'll see how it does with yours. Uh, he says, for even the son of man, that's him. Did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know why we can walk this road, why we should walk this road, why we must walk this road? Because this is what Jesus did for us. I mean, the, the creator of the universe, the Lord of all creation, you know, the one who with a word could bring all the armies of the world to nothing with a word could gather all the riches of the world at his feet. He came not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for you and for me that we could be forgiven and that we could find new and everlasting life in his name. The greatest of all became the servant of all and he changed the whole world. He changed all of human history and for many of you in this room, he changed your world. And now he's saying, go and do likewise. Follow me. Follow behind me. I've already blazed the trail. Come follow behind me. Come follow in the way of the servant. And that's the point of today. And I want to end with the question that we've ended as we're closing here. I want to end with the question I've ended every Sunday with, every one of the parts of the series with, and it's simply, in what way are you walking? What way are you walking in life? And, why, and how and with whom do you maybe need to start walking the way of the servant? And here's my assignment, if I may, for you this week. If I may give you an assignment. Uh, I would love to challenge you or give you the assignment of specifically 
answering this question. This is kind of how I wrote it for today. Um, who needs you to be a ladder? Who needs you to be a ladder? Whose future, whose progress, whose development, whose provision, whose faith is waiting on you to be a ladder? Is waiting on you to stop climbing long enough to figure out how to start being a ladder because that's the measure of a life. Whose ladder is God calling you to be? Ask that question and go be it. Go follow Jesus. Whether even if you're not ready to believe in it, go follow Jesus and find life. Bring more life to your marriage and your family and your work and your habits and your dreams and your future. Go follow Jesus and find life. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when I ask this question. Who needs you to be a ladder, but um, perhaps you're thinking right now, bam, your family came to mind. My family came to mind when I was preparing this sermon. Let me pose some questions to you. How familiar are you with the walls that your kids and your spouse are trying to climb? How often are you a ladder on their wall versus them a ladder on yours? Maybe this week you need to start asking some really good questions so you can spend the next year being a ladder for them towards who God's calling them to be and where God's calling them to go. Maybe the area that comes to mind is uh, your work. I don't know if you're the boss, if you're an employee, but maybe that's what came to mind. Great questions that I was thinking about this week for me. Uh, in pursuit of winning at work, are, are you stepping on people or are you bringing them up with you? Uh, when you win at work, is it a win for you or is it a win ever for anyone else? Uh, when you set your goals at work, like for the next year, does it include anyone else's future or anyone else's good or anyone else's prosperity in life or is it just yours? Don't just climb the ladder, be one. And no, look, I'm not saying be mediocre. I'm not saying like stop going for it. No, God gave you your talents for you to multiply them. God says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Keep going and killing it. I'm not saying that you don't climb the ladder. I'm just saying, remember that you're supposed to do both. The measure of the life is actually being one, not climbing it. So don't forget that. Or maybe the area you're thinking about is um, like random friends and acquaintances. Like who is God put around you randomly that might not in fact be random at all. I've talked to several men recently and just in our church who've been like asking God to show them a younger man, somebody at work or in the neighborhood who just needs like a boost in life or maybe a little direction in life or some mentoring in life. And it's been so cool to see God bringing people their way. There might be someone in your orbit that you think is random and they're not random at all. God has them right where he wants them to be because he's hoping that you will be a ladder towards where he's calling them to go. Who around you needs you to be a ladder? Or hey, maybe what came to mind is church. Uh, like if you want to be a ladder for the next generation, come join us on on Sunday as we're investing in kids from birth through high school. If you want to be a ladder for those in need in our community, join us as we're serving in our community partners Monday through Friday and on the weekends. We were just doing some this weekend. Um, come join us as we're meeting needs in our community. You want to be a ladder for somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Invite him to come sit with you at church and discover him for yourself. There's so much opportunity uh, to, be, uh, to be a ladder. What road are you walking? Who needs you to be a ladder? Ask that question and let's go do it this week. So that's our series, The Better Way of Jesus. Our faith is not just something we believe. It's someone we follow and Jesus has invited us to follow in his way, his different way, his better way, the way of love, the way of the cross, and the way of the servant. And yet it's a narrow road, not well lit, not well traveled, not well advertised, but it leads to life. It leads to the life 
that you're looking for, that I'm looking for. So the question is, again, what way are you walking? What way are you walking? We're gonna close with a song today. And I love this song because I love the lyrics of the song. I think this song has lyrics that would be a potentially a great response for you today. Like chances are there's somebody sitting in the room uh, that in the course of the series, I don't know how many parts you've heard. If you've heard one, you've heard two, whatever. But there's been maybe a moment where you've gone, man, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really think I'm following him like he's called me to. I wanna get on the narrow road. And if that's you, this is your song. Make the words of this song your words right here, right now, and just tell them, hey, I want to walk the narrow road. Others of you, maybe, maybe you're not a believer in Jesus, but you've been kind of dabbling and following, like you've shown up at church a couple times, you tried some of the stuff I've said or Andy said in these sermons, but you've come to the point where you're like, hey, I think I actually believe. I think I actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and maybe he needs to not just be somebody else's savior, like he needs to be my savior. And if so, this is your song. Make these words your words and put your faith in Jesus who died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead to give you everlasting life. Like this could be the moment where you decide you want to become a Christian because you believe in Jesus and want to follow him. So make these words your words. If you want to, in the time that we're singing it, I think they're amazing. The song goes like this. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Your way is the only way for me. It's a narrow road that leads to life, but I want to be on it. I want to be on it. I want to be on it. And the chorus says, so Jesus, I'll take you at your word. I'll take you at your word. I'll take you at your word. I believe and I'm ready to follow. So let's spend a moment right here before we leave and just respond. And then we'll finish.